0: so a really useful thing to do when a relationship ends is honor and appreciate the beauty in it the fact that it was so lovely and there were so great moments because i think we have a tendency when we a relationship ends to go Oh, i had a bad relationship because of the process of the death throes perhaps the part where nature comes in to make it end And that can be a bit unpleasant, or very unpleasant. But it doesn't mean that the rest of it wasn't of great value, because it was. Um, So when we have this understanding, it helps in a number of ways. Not least because it makes you take it less personally. You know, the relationship ended because it had done its job. Hello, I'm Matt Ringrose, and welcome to Very Vedic. I'm going to be answering the questions we all have about life today... Using the oldest wisdom on the planet, the ancient Vedic texts from India, the Vedas. They were written over 6,000 years ago with one purpose, to help us. This knowledge has the potential to free us from suffering and allow us to live our fullest lives. And that's why I created Very Vedic, to share it with you. I'm a Vedic meditation teacher and the founder of Bondi Meditation Centre. And this season I'm joined by my student Anna together we explore relationships, love, feelings, finding a sense of purpose and basically anything else that comes up from the Vedic view. If you're keen to learn how to meditate or you have a question you'd like answered, DM me on Instagram at meditation, or email info at Okay, here we go. Hello, Anna. Hello, Matt. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Pretty good. Yes. <laughs> not too bad. Okay. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, by the way, I listened to all the episodes.
1: Yes. How was it?
0: I don't know. What do you reckon, listener? I reckon it would, they're going pretty well and there's, mm. we've covered quite a Do you a think lot of- we can
1: bomb this one like we can do badly? Oh, we're not there yet.
0: Oh, what? You mean And it'll still be okay? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon we could, this could be pretty rubbish and people would let us off.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's good just as well.
0: So, what, have you got anything, so by the way, I don't know if everyone knows this, but we never really know what we're going to talk about. Yes. And we kind of just go with the flow, and Anna just asks what she's interested in, just in case Mm. you're wondering. Dear listener, out (laughs) in podcast land. So, Anna, what do you want to talk about today?
1: Well, there's something I want to talk about, but firstly, I just want to say I have been sick, so I might cough, just for the... Yes. Okay, just, yes, just put that out there. Yeah, thanks for coming in. But uh, <laughs> um, I just wanted to start with this. I I just uh, was so in flow this morning. Were you? So in flow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always thinking about what are we going to talk about when I get there? And it's yeah. usually something that happens half an hour before. And I go, mm-hmm. ah, this is something. Mm-hmm. and And just getting here today. Yeah was was so amazingly joyful and in flow oh, it was like i caught a, a bus yeah. and a train and as soon as i got to the bus stop mm-hmm. my bo- my bus was there even though it said it'd be 10 minutes yeah. after mm. and then as soon as i got I, I got to the train station just in time and there was this mm. the meal that i wanted just there and i got it and i got on the train and it was like just on time as soon as mm. i got there and then i got off and went to get a tea and there was Christmas stuff going on at Starbucks and every, it was just so joyful getting here mm. um, and yeah. I just thought that was a really nice place to start because there's something it, like, yeah. you know, that, that feeling of being in that flow is so wonderful mm. and also I want to hold on to it yeah. but I know I can't.
0: <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm sure you can because, yeah, you say the feeling of being in flow but that flow is in you. The world you create, the universe you experience, you actually create based on your state of consciousness. So all the experiences you have in your life are, it's like you're kind of a creator of a hologram and you create that based on your state of consciousness. So if your state of consciousness, let's say, is one that is um, very scared and based in fear, um, then you'll experience the world as a scary place. And if your state of consciousness um, is based in a place where you are you're feeling a lot of anger, then there's a lot of justifications in the world to feel angry. And today, as I hope it's going to become a more and more consistent experience for you, you experience the universe in a very true way, uncluttered by um, some subconscious ideas or fears we might have. You experienced it more purely, more ki- clearly. For the truth that is there, which is that it wants to support you and it wants to help you. And, um, and it's actually arranging things to do that. And the more you come in tune with what it wants to do and you want to do those things too, the more smooth that process feels. So if you were, um, say, doing things which were really not helpful to your evolution... And to the evolution of the world in general, then the universe would still be helping you, right? But it'll be helping you in a more kind of forceful manner. Or rather, it'll be readjusting things more obviously <laughs> to correct you. But when you're um, in flow anyway, and on a similar agenda to the the universe, i.e. today coming to record a podcast to help people understand the laws of the universe so that they can be in flow, then the adjustments will be much more subtle, or you may feel, a word we've used quite a lot in this podcast series, a kind of frictionless flow as you and the universe work together in perfect collaboration. So this is often referred to in Vedic, circles as support of nature the more we're doing things that nature wants us to do the more nature orchestrates its infinite organizing potential to make that possible and today was a rather lovely fairy tale version of that right (laughs) the bus arriving just at the right time um, and and so on and Christmas and but even the Christmas thing so you go in Starbucks and some people might have said I went in Starbucks and they're bloody doing Christmas too early there's Christmas in there and everyone's like, and it's just they're trying to make more money. That could be an experience of Christmas um, based on all sorts of ideas about what it is and what it should be. But you experienced it for the joy which it can bring and which it does bring. And so um, that natural inclination to see the more positive, the more optimistic um, side of things is... Um, Is an inherent honoring of the world as it is, which starts to happen more and more as we move into higher states of consciousness.
1: It's so amazing because some days I feel like I just wake up with it. It's just there. Mm. It's like I don't have to do that much to get in that place. And sometimes Mm. it feels like work.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, That's like coming back to remember last week's podcast when we were talking about the bumpy road. Mm. Even if we're doing and trying to and our intention is to to do the things which um, the universe wants us to do, to do our dharma, live out our purpose, be positive and contributing to the overall organism, to the world. It's not always smooth and we don't always... Feel the joy of Christmas and Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> because the process is such that we have those encouraging moments. Um, I think enough encouraging moments like that to hopefully give us the confidence that we're moving in the right direction and push us along. But sometimes um, moving in, our, in the direction of our perfect armor involves a, a kind of shaving off of some of the rough areas around us. And that can involve some discomfort. Because, <laughs> so it's, it's not like um, every day we'll catch the bus at just the right time. And if the bus doesn't turn up at the right time, does that mean we're doing the wrong thing? You see, this is where it gets more nuanced and interesting. What if the bus came really late? And you were going to do something perfectly dharmic, like record a podcast on Dharma. <laughs> What's going on there? Is something going wrong? No. No no so there's a constant process of refinement going on and sometimes it's frictionless and flowing and that might last for a few seconds or a few minutes or hours and so on but then equally you may well have an equally valid evolutionary experience where you're doing just the right thing but things feel really hard um, and this is this is happening to help us surrender so to it's help still us accept. the support
1: of nature it's all... It's
0: all the support, the support of, nature. of nature. You could say like it's either like lovey-dovey love or tough love. Okay. You know, yeah, had a bit of lovey-dovey love this morning, which is beautiful. But when the key thing is when we um, have the more difficult experience, we don't interpret that as punitive, as punishment. We understand on a deeper level that it's benevolent, that the universe is helping us Um, In a way, we might not quite yet understand even, but it's always orchestrating everything to optimise our movement towards greater evolution.
1: For example, could it be that, you know, if the bus was running late, I might need to let go of a certain element of control in my life. And so surrendering in that moment would allow for that opening to happen.
0: Yes, exactly. If in doubt (laughs) about what um, the universe is bringing us, what the lesson is, if in doubt, you can always fall back on acceptance. Um, And what is acceptance? We've kind of covered it and we're touching on it, but it's so central to kind of spiritual work and personal growth that we'll touch on it again. Um, What is acceptance? Acceptance is the recognition of the relevance of every moment. And if it's happening, it's relevant for some reason. And that may be obvious to us or it may not be obvious to us. But it's not for us to start to try to micromanage life. That sense that at some moments things seem so wrong that we have the idea that God's lost our file. Yeah? (laughs) that kind of yes. idea, um, and start to try to kind of manipulate things with force. And someone of,
1: else has found our file and they're not as nice. <laughs>
0: they're not as nice. It's just an admin. Yes. It's God's, God's admin. Sorry to use the G word, dear listener, again. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the admin and they don't care about you and they haven't got enough experience. No, it's always the creative, if we were to take the Vedic view, it's always um, the creative intelligence with infinite intelligence, infinite creative potential.
1: So I guess we're touching on the topic of control here. Yeah. Like ultimately surrendering control because while mm. I'd love this experience to be the same every day, mm. I'm sure the more I would try and hold on to this, the bus mm. being on time and everything going mm. well, the more uh, like damaging it w- could be
0: yeah that's the problem isn't it we have an experience we like partly because we're not trying to control and we're in flow as in not rigidly attached but then we can have the experience and want to repeat the experience again and this is where the idea of control comes in because that particular experience made us feel a certain way and we like that feeling so we try to organize things so that we can have that experience again um but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because it's in direct contravention to the idea we are just talking about. It's the idea that um, we as an individual entity, an individual being, have a greater idea of what we should be doing than the entire cosmic intelligence, which is organizing things. So, <laughs> so this is the idea that we're like, Oh, I don't think, no, I don't think cosmic intelligence (laughs) has got it quite right because I really wanted that Mm. laptop and now I can't afford it. Yeah. And then you try and organise something. Or I really wanted this job so you keep, or a good classic one, I really wanted this relationship to keep going. (laughs) So I'm going to keep pestering the person who's just dumped me until, of course, they're going to realise their mistake and come back with me. This is a good good example of control is relationships. Yes. Really good example of control.
1: Can we talk about that more?
0: Yeah, we should sure <laughs> go. Yes. Yeah, we haven't really talked about relationships much, have we? Yeah. No, so, um, yeah, control in relationships is interesting. Relationships in general, um, from the Vedic perspective, um, last as long as they are helping us with our evolution. Now, that may be a relationship to um, a you know a romantic partner or a behavior or a friend, just a normal kind of friend. Um, what happens is that these all these relationships are important and help us in our evolution but then at some point they stop helping us in our evolution and they actually start to potentially strain our evolution I in we're trying to move forward but they're holding us back and at that point what happens is that the desires change desires if it's a romantic relationship the desires of one or both partners kind of go to some extent so that it doesn't feel like it hasn't got that momentum. You haven't got that sense that you want it to continue. Um, and obviously we can take this very personally and think, Oh, there's something wrong with me. And this is an interesting and quite helpful. I think, um, because people, when, when they get, let's say unceremoniously dumped, um, or relationship ends, they can feel like there was something wrong with them and go into a forensic analysis of their behaviors and how they could be better and why they're unlovable. But it's not like that. Um, Nervous systems are very funny things and they can fit together for certain periods of time in a way which feels very comfortable and completely right. And then something just shifts out slightly and then it doesn't feel quite right. Why? Because the universe, in its infinite wisdom, has decided that that relationship has um, run its evolutionary course. Um. The growth for both parties has been achieved, and it's now time to move on to something else. But of course, it comes back to that idea that we as humans have this sense that if something doesn't last forever, then that's um, that means it's not valuable in the same way,
1: or or, or that it could be a failure, that a it's failure, a failed attempt yeah. at something where that's, you know yeah. that ten years together or five years together. Whatever. Was wasted in some way. Yeah, where, it, where yeah. it was not a fail at all. We,
0: no, no, it wasn't a fail it at all.
1: both parties so much love and mm. growth and life.
0: So a really useful thing to do when a relationship ends is honour and appreciate the beauty in it. The fact that it was so lovely and there were so great moments because I think we have a tendency when we a relationship ends to go, oh, I had a bad relationship because mm. of... The process of the death throws, perhaps. The part where nature comes in to make it end. And that can be a bit unpleasant or very unpleasant. But it doesn't mean that the rest of it wasn't of great value, because it was. Um, so when we have this understanding, it helps in a number of, wa- in a number of ways. Not least because it makes you take it less personally. You know, the relationship ended because it had done its job. It helps us to accept um, the ending as not a negative thing, but a positive thing, making room for something new. And it's said that we actually choose our partners because their wounds intersect with ours. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh dear. So, so you choose the partner who's going to trigger your old wounds and they choose you because you're going to trigger their old wounds. And between you... Surely you, you wouldn't
1: know. choose to do that. That must be... Nature, right? Because individuals yeah. wouldn't choose to be triggered in that way.
0: That's right. So, <laughs> um, this is an interesting point. Actually, all our choices, all our desires are not actually ours. Yes. They're all nature. So, yes, you're quite right. It is nature choosing to put us with somebody. Very cleverly. I mean, we'd have trouble finding that person. How would you know? <laughs> It'd take a cosmic intelligence to work out that partnership. I
1: mean, you right? can't talk about that stuff on a first date. What are all your wounds? Do they <laughs> intersect
0: with mine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, need yeah. Help. <laughs> yeah, we're going to hell together. And it's going to be fun. Um, no, so that's the point that we choose people um, and relationships that help us grow. And that relationship, by the way, may last. You know, for the rest of your lives, and that might be relevant. It is for my mum and dad. I look at them, and they're still growing with each other, and it's still so relevant, and the desires are still so strong for each other, and it's it's beautiful. But it could equally be that the um, the relevance of your relationship is lasts one night, or five minutes, or whatever it might be.
1: And what do you think about friendships Matt? because I feel like within intimate relationships there's a knowing that that breakups happen mm-hmm. when when the relationship becomes irrelevant but somehow within friendships there seems to be from my experience if we kind of don't want to be friends anymore the the breakup is more of a slow burn <laughs> it's not a thing where you meet up in the park and talk about let's break up it's time
0: mm. <laughs> That's a really good question. It's one that comes up a lot with meditators. Uh, some relationships seem to lose their appeal. Some friendships seem to lose their appeal. The same rules apply, but the difference, as you kind of you've identified, is that it's easier to tolerate <laughs> friendship <laughs> that's past its sell-by date than it is a lover, say, because you haven't got to do things <laughs> as often and as intimately with the friend right so for this reason um it's kind of easier to ignore um the fact that it's become irrelevant but nevertheless when we learn to meditate particularly it becomes harder to ignore um and we just find that we're just not vibing (laughs) we're not we haven't got much in common there doesn't seem to be much point in our meetings up and in these cases you know what it's okay to unfriend someone someone in real life just as it is on social media. Obviously, we always want to do it in the way which is most loving and kind of like draws the least attention to it even. You know, don't make a big deal out of it. Just let it slowly ebb away. Um, But we shouldn't have um, a loyalty which is when the relationship has become irrelevant. A loyalty which keeps us doing something which is no longer creating really any unity. And' is not no longer serving any purpose for both parties.
1: Okay, Matt, so you are a dad. I am Can you talk about that from the Vedic view about being a father and can you also talk about your the love that you have for your children and how you experience that love?
0: Well, like all parents I experience or all the parents I know and the view I understand is that I experience unconditional love for those children when they're born that's something that seems to be biologically hardwired into most of us as parents what's really interesting though is how that was enhanced when I learned to meditate in several ways Um, the most important part is that I started to really appreciate the power of my attention on those children men now (laughs) Basically, <laughs> um, And so the flow of our consciousness, of our attention, has a name in Vedic terminology. It's called Soma. And that's the most powerful thing we have, actually, is our attention. And the most valuable. That's what everyone's trying to get from us. You know, that's what the media's trying to get from us. That's what our partner's trying to get from us. That's what a dog's trying to get from us. <laughs> that's what everything is trying to get from us. Um, and we, we only have so much of that. It's like it's a finite commodity within us. Okay,
1: is is attention and love interchangeable, or like does to give someone attention mean to give them love, or different?
0: At the highest level, it's the same, because what Soma is doing is providing uh, a bridge, a link between you and that person to experience unity, which is love. So yeah, in the highest states. you mean Because in the lower states, you can give somebody attention, but that attention could be um, very much clouded with anger or hatred, and we'll be clearly not calling that love. But in the higher states, your attention is pure. It's a pure flow of soma, a pure flow of consciousness, which will enliven in them a feeling of unity and love, as well as in you. So... That's the answer to that bit. Where were we before that?
1: Yeah, so um, you were saying that when you became a father, you realized how important the commodity of attention is. Yeah, that's
0: right. So you realize, firstly, when you meditate, your attention gets more powerful, and it can have a more powerful effect on people. Um, And you also realize that you kind of only have a certain amount of it. The more you meditate and the higher you become, the the greater that commodity of soma and powerful attention is. Um, But there's still, for most of us, a limit. So you want to give that attention to where it's most appreciated and most valued. And one of those places is with your children. If you have children, you'll know that you can be with them, but not present. You're physically with them, but not giving them your soma because you're distracted by your thoughts or your phone and so on. You haven't turned on that flow of real, rich, deep attention. And when you turn on that flow of soma to the child, boom, you see them light up. They light up and they love it and they thrive on it. And this is um, such an important thing for children to experience. Um, and meditation allows you to give them that experience more often and be distracted less often. So that's one of the most beautiful things that kind of changed for me. And one of my favorite things about that meditation taught me, actually, um, Another thing that meditation helps you with, um, which is obviously connected, is that when you're with your children, it's very easy to fall down, particularly when they're young and challenging, or older and challenging for that matter. Um, it's easy to dip down to, shall we say, their level and get into a, a head-butting kind of competition on the lower level. Um, and they will always beat you on this, or at least my, my son's, a very particularly my younger son are fantastic teachers in this way because if i use any uh, lower emotions to try to control jack um, that will always produce counter in jack in other words it won't work it will make the problem worse it will amplify it Whereas if I choose a higher approach, so the lower approaches would be anything based on uh, fear, anger, shame, guilt, these kind of approaches. You know, quite a lot of the classic traditional discipline, disciplinarian approaches, in fact, which may work with some children. But with Jack, no, they produce an equal amount of that. So then we'll call those those approaches forceful approaches. And with Jack, he'll produce... Um, an equal amount of counterforce if you come in with those. So it won't work, it'll just make matters worse. Whereas if you can use powerful approaches, such as acceptance, love, unconditional love, these kind of approaches, then they will be much more effective and they will diffuse Jack's lower, you know, his fear and his anger and bring about a better response. So again, meditation allows you that choice more often because if you're not meditating and you're completely um, absorbed and identified with the mind and body, you're much more likely to get pulled in, drawn into those lower level fights with your children. Um, But when you're meditating and you're established more in consciousness, more in being, then you have the option at least to remember what would love do here? and going with that approach, which will bring about a better response.
1: So those lessons that you learnt with your children, mm. um, do you use them now with with people who aren't your children? Like the attention thing, I mean, that, that's that's the first time I've heard it put like that. Like, uh-huh. It's such a valuable lesson mm. to mm. hear yeah. that attention's actually the biggest thing we can give people. Yeah, um, it is. Are you finding, or have you found since either or both having children Mm. and meditating that you can give people more of your attention.
0: You can, yeah, you can give people more of your attention. You can give them, um, a palpable sense of your conscious attention. And that can be, um, very helpful for people. It can help them feel comfortable, loved, open to sharing, supported, all these good things. Um, and generally, you know, that's great. But there is also there are also occasions where people are just looking for that um, soma. And there's a little term for them in Vedic circles. Again, soma bandits, they're known as. <laughs> and these are people that just want your that nectar of your attention because it feels good. But they're not really going to use it in a positive way. And how can we identify a soma bandit? Because they'll want to talk to you a lot about themselves... They'll kind of be asking for advice, but they'll never really follow it or change what they're doing. And they seem to have an insatiable appetite for your attention. And in these cases, we need to be a little bit cautious, a little bit strategic, and maybe minimize how much we're giving them. Because otherwise, you'll be going to somebody who really needs it. Maybe your child, maybe another student, maybe whoever. And you might be already a bit kind of like running dry. So, yeah, it's good to be aware of.
1: And you said that you only had have a certain amount of attention. Mm. That's something. That's the first time I've heard that as well. Yeah. Are you you speaking about literally like within a day you have, Mm. you know, a a almost measurable amount of attention that you can give to people and places and things? Yeah. It completely depends.
0: It completely depends on the person and so many variables. Um, But yeah, within any given period, you have a certain amount of soma. And let's be clear on what we mean by this. So Soma is that real conscious flow um, which connects you to the person you're with. Um, And how much Soma you have will depend. It will depend on, you know, if you're doing spiritual practice, how much you've meditated, whether you ate what we'd call in Vedic terms a Sattvic diet, which is a sweet kind of vegetable-based diet, so, in other words, just what you ate, um, how much, how tired you are physically, whether you've maybe um, had a, an oil massage that day. All these many, many variables determine how much you've got in your soma tank at any particular time. And therefore, you can run your soma tank down quite a lot. And you feel like, you know, those days, you must know, man, where you feel like you've got nothing for anyone. Yes. You know, when you're a bit sick, your soma's right down, right? because you've just been sick yeah. you're a bit sick at the moment. Yeah. Your soma can be, it depends, but it can be quite depleted. So you've really got just enough to get yourself through the day without really having as much to give. And then on other days, you may have enough soma so that that guy at work who annoys everyone and you really haven't got energy for, because it's quite difficult, um, but who actually needs a little bit of attention to help him, you've got an- enough attention just to connect with him in that moment and help him so it depends right
1: it it seems so you have actually
0: experienced you have actually without realizing you've actually experienced uh, you know a depletion of soma the ability to give it
1: yeah yeah but um it's it's really interesting because as i was saying to you before i i enjoyed being taken down with that sickness for um yeah you know for a few days and i think the the reason was as well that I felt like I could kind of give myself some attention. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like I'd kind of Mm. been denying that Mm. a bit on some Mm. level that I didn't even know. And so when the sickness took me down, I was like, okay, I've got no choice now. I need to start Mm. looking after myself. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason I've said to you was kind of a strangely, you know, nice or enjoyable experience. Yeah.
0: To replenish your soma levels. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And and as you notice, nature, the body, will organise sometimes for us to have no as to non-negotiably rest to restore, amongst other things, levels of of soma. A potential to give that that high level of conscious flow to people.
1: Okay, Matt. So we've talked a bit about um, intimate relationships. Yeah. And I guess one of the most intimate relationships, if not, I guess it's the in, most intimate, would be oh, yeah, the okay. relationship with self.
0: Yes, indeed, yeah.
1: Um, so can we talk a bit about that? To the same rules... Mm. Th- to the same rules? <laughs> well, <laughs> I was trying to say, do the same rules apply? And then I put yeah. the apply before the rules. Do the same rules apply for having establishing a healthy relationship with other people that, that apply to yeah. Ourselves,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, the way we could part of us could be a soma bandit would be those repetitive <laughs> negative thoughts, you okay? So, those thoughts which um, are telling us how crap we are, how nothing's going to work out, and basically um, that we're no good. And if we it's interesting little stats on think on thoughts, I don't know if you knew this, but we have apparently about 90,000 thoughts a day. I've now said that online. I've absolutely no idea where that came from. Let's say around 90,000, a lot, mental processes or something per day. And of those, 99% are the same as we had yesterday. And of those, 99% are lies. And yet, for the large proportion of the world, most of the world, that's where almost all of their attention goes. And they believe every word of it
1: seems like such a waste of time,
0: <laughs> yeah, such a waste of soma, right <laughs> so, but this is why um, the most of the world doesn 't love itself as much as it could. Most of the people in the world don 't love themselves as much as they could because they 're basing their relationship on themselves on the um, dialogue that comes from the self, the commentary about themselves, so yeah, so in terms of um, do the same rules apply? Absolutely. Let's not water the weeds. You know, Let's put our attention instead of on those thoughts, let's put our attention on the essence of ourself. And the essence of ourself is that place of consciousness from where those thoughts come, but which is not by any means defined by those thoughts. And if I was to say that to you and you didn't meditate, I'm pretty much asking you to do the impossible. Because... You just keep forgetting constantly that you are not those thoughts and you just think you are the thoughts and you believe every word of it. But because you're meditating, you have a big advantage. Because when we meditate, we pour our soma on our deepest reality, on consciousness. And when we give our soma to something, it wakes it up. It enlivens it. So we start to feel that place of being more alive in ourselves. And when we come out of meditation with our eyes open... We find that the thoughts are no longer sapping all our soma in the same way. We find our attention naturally resting on that deeper part of ourselves more often, rather than just the thoughts. Those thoughts will carry on, but you'll be less and less identified with them and more able to put your attention on another aspect of yourself. And that aspect of yourself is the deepest, truest aspect of yourself The bit which has always been there and which will always be there. Your pure consciousness. And if you do that, you go from being miserable. yeah, You go from being miserable and believing lots of nonsense stories about how awful you are. To experiencing your true power and a sense of peace and deep ease. And that is why the same rules apply to yourself
1: that's so beautiful I love that it's making me think about like the role of boundaries that we you know we have with other people maybe boundaries we might implement with someone a so soma bandit outside mm-hmm. of ourselves and maybe implementing those boundaries within mm. when those thoughts come up having boundaries exactly. no I don't no, I don't believe you I'm not going to give you my energy
0: that's it yeah we can have a relationship with now we finally realize we're not the thoughts and feelings we can have a relationship with them like you say and that relationship quite rightly should have boundaries and the main one is I ain't got the energy for this sorry too busy experiencing my deep beauty <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, well, that might be a nice, uh, nice note. On which, yeah, I think so.
1: Okay, I'm like, going to go experience my deep beauty. You go do <laughs> that. I'll try and do the rest it as well. Of the day. Yes.
0: And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Very Vedic Produced by Studio Offline Technical production by Podpaste Original music by Al Royale If you're keen to learn how to meditate or you have a question you'd like answered DM me on Instagram at bondi Meditation, or email info at Until next time Jai Guru Dev.
2: Thank mm-hmm.